Let us all now turn to the book of Micah, chapter 5, verses 2 through 5. Micah 5, 2 through 5. And after you've turned there, and it might take a little while, Micah's a small book. In fact, they call them the small prophets, the uh, little prophets. It doesn't mean anything in their stature or of importance either. It's just that they're small books, that's all. I had explained that to some people because they thought that they weren't important. I said, no, they're very important. Very, very important indeed. Micah 5, 2 through 5 says this, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, although you are small among the tribes of Judah, from you will come forth for me one who will be ruler over Israel. His origins are from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. And the rest of his brothers will return to the children of Israel. He will stand and shepherd in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. Then they will live securely, because now he will be great until the ends of the earth. And the first part of verse 5, and he will be their peace. God bless and honor the reading of his word. You may be seated. I don't know how much you know about the Hebrew word Beth. Now, it's also a name, and it has a very interesting meaning in the name uh, that people use. But we're not going to go to that. We're just simply going to go to the word, the Hebrew word Beth. The Hebrew word Beth means house. It means house. And you can find it in many, many places in the Bible. Um, and in the Bible... You will see Beth in many, many places in Hebrew, in the Bible. You'll see it starts with Beth, such as Bethel, which means house of God, because El is the Hebrew word for God. So you see Bethel. Uh, and by the way, Bethel, originally, it was a, it was a different name, originally. Uh, but that was where Jacob uh, had his uh, ladder scene, where he had that dream. And that's where, uh, that's where he saw that. So they changed it to Bethel. And then, then we had places called Bethnamera. Bethnamera was called the house of the leopard. Now, I wouldn't want to have the house. I'm just going to be honest with you. I wouldn't want to have a house with a leopard in it. <laughs> and then there's Beth Haran, which is the house east of Jordan. That was that house. Then there's Beth Avon. Beth Avon was house of vanity. I think I visited that house before. <laughs> and then there's Beth Horon. Beth Horon was house of holy, uh, holiness. Beth Horon was house of holiness. Beth Baal Meon. Beth Baal Meon, which was house of the habitation of Baal, obviously. That's not good. Baal was a false god. Uh, and then there's Beth, Beth Arbel. Beth Arbel, which is house of God's ambush. Beth Sheon. House of Ease. I like that house. House of Ease. Beth Sheon. And then there's Abel Beth Meachan. Uh, Abel Beth Meaka. And that is, uh, Abel means meadow. Meaka is a person's name. And of course, Beth. So that is the meadow of the house of Meaka. And then there's Besh Beseda. Beseda is the house of fishing. That was the place where uh, Peter and Andrew were, and also Philip was from there too. That's where a lot of the fishermen came from. I'm sure it didn't smell too good. 
<laughs> Bethsaida. You all know about that. In fact, we've been there. Some of us have been to Bethsaida. And then there is uh, Bethany. Now that has a couple different meanings. Uh, house of Dates. I, I, I don't usually have a lot of house of dates myself. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No, not that kind of dates. Not that kind of dates. Uh, it means house of misery. Now, maybe I have had those kind of dates before. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, later on, they call it a house of misery, and there's a reason for that. Uh, it's also in a house of figs. But the reason why that is is because uh, it was thought of as a low place, not a place not good. Uh, low kind of place, but the house of misery is also known as, because it was signified as a house of misery. That's uh, Beth, Bethany. And we know about Mary, you know, Mary and Martha, they came from Bethany, the house of dates or the house of figs, house of misery, thought of low, poor people. And then there's Bethphage, Bethphage. Bethphage was a house of unripe figs. And then there's Beth, Bethesda, Bethesda was the house of mercy or house of grace. And that's where a lot of healing was done, Bethesda. Um, and then, wait a minute, you said a lot of places to start with Beth. But what about this time of year? There's one that's well known more than any other, Bethlehem. Bethlehem, what does Bethlehem mean? Bethlehem means a house of bread. House of bread. Now why is it? Well. It was probably because it was known as a house, a place that had a lot of bakeries. That's why. And it's very appropriate for the birthplace of Jesus. Now, why is it very appropriate for the birthplace of Jesus? Because Jesus Christ was known as the bread of life. And so because of that, and you can find that later on in John 6, 48. We'll get to that here in a little while. For that reason, I have my poor mom who does so much for the church, she said to me, oh, I just don't do enough. Please let me do something else. I said, okay, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll ask you to do one more thing. So if you look right here, if you look right up here, I had her make a little bitty gingerbread house, a little bitty gingerbread uh, nativity, you could say, because I have the manger in there, I have Joseph and Mary, and I have a, the little, uh, well, a little manger. Yeah, I meant to say the... Uh, uh, the nativity set itself. Now, she also made wise men and camels and donkeys. There was not enough room. So I did the only thing a good pastor would do. I started eating them. Because I, I just couldn't, I could not, could not let her waste her time. You're welcome, by the way. Yeah, nor the donkey neither. But all that being said, very, that being said, that being said, the title of today's sermon is the Christmas Bread House, the Christmas Bread House. And that is because, that is because Bethlehem is the house of bread. It is the Christmas Bread House. Bethlehem was just south of Jerusalem, just south of Jerusalem, in the Judean hill country. I know a lot of times when people make paintings or when they draw or whatever, the, the pictures of Bethlehem, a lot of times they, have you ever noticed that they make it all sandy looking and they make it plain and just straight and that's not true. In fact, it was in the cave and, uh, and that's where the nativity was at, it was in the cave and, and they built a church on top of it. I've been there and we've been there. But the truth is, is it's very hilly. Uh, the, most of Jerusalem is very hilly. 
It's not sandy. There's some sand, maybe dirt and all, but the truth be told, it's very rocky. There's lots of rocks all over the place. In fact, I, I may have told you this before, but my father, he collected lots of rocks, a place he'd go and he'd ride on there where it's from. And uh, he said, would it be okay if I took a rock from this place? And the guy whose name was uh, Zachariah, he said, yes, please do. Oh, please take all the rocks you want. We, we've got plenty, take more, take, would you like rocks? Would you like rocks? There's plenty of rocks, I'm just telling you. I'm saying this because it seems like most of the time when they draw uh, cartoons or whatever, and they don't always film there in Israel, obviously, but they a lot of times make it in a sandy place like Egypt or something, and it's not like that at all. It's very rocky. There's some places like that, but not very many, just so you know. Now, the former, let's just take a look at Bethlehem. It's just south of Jerusalem, like I said. It was, in a, it was in the Judean hill country. And I want to explain the name that we see there in Micah. Because it always confused me when I saw the name Bethlehem. And then right after Bethlehem, it says Ephrathah. That's because originally when Bethlehem was, was named, it was a part of the hill country known as Ephrathah, Ephrath, or Ephrathah. It both had those names. And this is in that place, uh, Bethlehem, is mentioned 41 times in the Bible, 41 times in 12 different books. That's how many times. But it all starts, believe it or not, it all starts with Jacob and Rachel. That's when we start hearing about Bethlehem. It starts with, with Jacob and Rachel. So let's go back and take a look just a little bit at where this begins. So the former name of Bethel, the name Bethel, which we mentioned a while ago, was Luz. Luz. Not quite as pretty as Bethel, is it? But we've heard of Luz before. We've talked about Luz. That is the first place that Jacob went. And Jacob had that dream. The dream given by God. Where he saw that ladder. Technically, it was stairs. It was a staircase. But they call it Jacob's Ladder. You, you've heard of it. That's where the angels were going up and down. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. As a little boy. And they talked about the angels going up and down. You know what I, I saw in my mind? An escalator. I, because my, my father, being a pastor, he said they were, they, were, they were escalating up and down. And so automatically I saw an escalator. I saw something you see at Metro North. You remember Metro North Mall at Christmas? Yeah, so I saw the escalator up and down, up and down, going down. And I was like, oh, I could just see those angels doing that, going up and down the escalator. But folks, I really do see that. And I don't mean a literal escalator, but I could see them going up and down that ladder, that stairway. Wouldn't that be beautiful, floating up and down? That's what Jacob saw, and it was at a place called Luz. But Jacob built an altar there to God. He did, especially he went back there again. Now, you remember when I told you that Jacob wrestled with God? And he did. He wrestled with God at that exact same place later on. He wrestled with the Lord God. Do I mean literally with God? Wait a minute, Pastor, it can't be. You said that no one has ever seen the face of God, and that's true. But it was God, pre-incarnate Christ. Christ before he was born. Pre-incarnate Christ. He wrestled with the angel of the Lord. The, capital T, the, you can even say capital V, the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord is pre-incarnate Christ. Not an angel, the angel of the Lord. That's pre-incarnate Christ. He was wrestling with him. And when that happened, here's what happened. When that happened, when that happened, and that's in Genesis 35, 15. When that happened, all of a sudden, he was wrestling and wouldn't let Jesus go. And when that happened, Jesus touched his thigh, his thigh bone, his hip, boom, 
knocked it out of place, and from that moment on, he had a he had it to uh, a little limp, you could say. His hip was out of place. He had to use a cane, you could say. Well, I don't know what that's like. But you know what else happened? His name was changed. Jacob was no longer called Jacob. His name from that moment on was called Israel because he wrestled. He wrestled with the angel of the Lord. His name was now Israel. That's where we get the name Israel, folks. That's where it is. So when you're praying for Israel, you're praying for Jacob's land, his family, his folks. That's what you're praying for. Then we get to see this. We get to see in Genesis 35, 16 through 20, they journeyed. This is Genesis 35, 16 through 20. They journeyed from Bethel, and when they were still some distance from Ephrath, uh, Ephrath, Rachel went into labor. Now, this is after he met with his brother. And this is when God made a covenant with them. After he met with his brother, um, he, with Esau, he got, that's where he made that altar to the Lord and made a promise, and he changed the name to Bethel. Now, they're on their way from Bethel to Ephrath, and when he was on his way, Rachel goes into labor with her last child. Her last child. Now, she already had the other 11, but now she's having her very last child, and we'll get to that in a minute. And she had a difficult labor. All of you mothers out there, thank you. Thank you for giving birth. Thank you for going through what you went through for your babies. Thank you for all that you do. We appreciate it. But listen to what it says. She had a very difficult labor. Verse 17 of Genesis 35. When she was in hard labor, the midwife, and we appreciate them too, said to her, do not fear. You will have this son also. Verse 18 as her soul was departing, for she died, she called his name Benoni, or Benoni, however you want to say that, but his father called him Benjamin. Called him Benjamin, the very first Benjamin. Rachel, verse 19, Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, which is Bethlehem. That is where Bethlehem is. Bethlehem first started there, right there before Ephrath, where or Eph, yeah, Ephrath, or Ephrathah, as also it's called. That's where it was, right there. Ephrathah, no longer it's going to be called that, or at least it won't be shortly later, because they're going to change it to Bethlehem. And that is the place where Rachel was buried. Verse 20, Jacob set a pillar there. He always set pillars in good, important places, especially when he's making... Uh, a covenant to God. Listen to what he did. He set a pillar on her grave. It is the pillar of Rachel's grave to this day. And I don't mean now. I'm talking about then when it was written. And then we see that Jacob spoke to Joseph's boys. This is in Genesis 48:7. Jacob, this is after he'd gone to Egypt and everything. Jacob spoke to Joseph's boys and uh, right before his death. And listen to what he said. This is also quoting about Rachel's place in Bethlehem. This is what he says in Genesis 48, verse 7. As for me, when I came to uh, Paddan, Rachel died beside me in the land of Canaan on the way. When there was still some distance to get to Ephrath, and I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. So it's on the way. It's on the way. But then we see in Jeremiah. Jeremiah. 31, 15, it talks about it. It says, Thus saith the Lord, the voice is heard in Ramah, 
lamentation and bitter weeping. It says, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted for her children because they are no more. This is speaking about Rachel and speaking about her children and knowing that they're about to go through horrible, horrible pain and all that they've gone through. This is a prophecy. And this is what Jeremiah spoke of. He knew because this was known as a place of sorrow. This was Bethlehem, a place of sorrow because all they would go through. And even in Ruth, even in Ruth, Bethlehem is mentioned seven times. Remember, Ruth is the great grandma of David. Ruth, grandma, and it says in Ruth 4.11, there's only one I'm going to give you, it is Ruth 4.11, then all the people who were at the gate, along with the elders, said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the women who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you do well in Ephrathah and the, be famous in Bethlehem. Bethlehem is a powerful place. And it went through generation of generation of generation. And we can see how powerful Bethlehem is. It is the Christmas bread house. And what, what do we see in 1 Samuel 16, 12? Oh, 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 what a powerful place. In 1 Samuel 16, 12, what do we see? We see David from Bethlehem, chosen from God and anointed to be king from him. I'm not going to read it, but we see what happens. David is anointed in, in 1 Samuel 16, 12. We see that David gets anointed. Samuel goes to him and he says, this is the one. This is the one. He is going to be the king. Saul's not going to be king anymore. Saul isn't going to be chosen anymore. He didn't live up. He didn't live up. I tried to tell you, Samuel. You know what Samuel was saying. I tried to tell you, but you wouldn't listen. <laughs> but God is chosen. He has the heart of God. We talk about it in Sunday school. Isn't it funny? Isn't it funny how a lot of times God gives me a sermon and I have it all prepared. And I was like, Lord, I pray and hope this is uh, anointed by you. And all of a sudden, Sunday school comes up and it mentions and gets it all set up and prepared for the sermon. And we know, OK, Lord, I know you had it prepared and ready. Yes. Hallelujah. John chapter 7, 42. John chapter 7, 42 says, has the scripture not said that the Christ comes from the seed of David? Out of the town of Bethlehem where David was. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And now, now I will turn to the book of Matthew. I will turn to the book of Matthew chapter 2. And I will read to you Matthew 2, 1 through 20. And this is how we know that this special place, this bread house, this wonderful bread house was chosen of God. Before I go there, let me just tell you something. God uses bread as a symbol over and over and over and over and over and over and over again through the Bible. Let's not forget about manna. Let's not forget about manna and the representation that it had throughout the Bible when God said, get rid of all the yeast, if you will. Get rid of all of it. Get rid of all of it. He said, get rid of all of it so that you can have that flat bread, yes, so that you can have that. And that bread was representation too. And now here he is, he's going to have the bread, the bread house in Bethlehem. And from the bread house of Bethlehem, we're going to get the bread of life. And let's see what happens here 
in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 through 20. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where Christ should be born. And they told him in Bethlehem of Judea. For this is what the prophet wrote. And you, Bethlehem, now they're reading Micah, aren't they? And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are no longer least among the princes of Judah. For out of you shall come a governor who will shepherd my people Israel. Actually, I think it's reading uh, from uh, another book. I can't remember the one right now. But when Herod, verse 7, when Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, carefully inquired of them what time the star appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again so that I may come and worship him also. What a liar. He had no intention of worshiping that child. He wanted to murder him and kill him. Because Herod, if you know anything about the history of him, Herod was a murderer. He was a jealous heathen, and he wanted him to be dead because he wanted to stay king. He killed his own kids. He was a jerk. He killed his favorite wife. Boy, what a way. Nothing says I love you like murder. I mean, some say a Hallmark card, but not according to Herod. Nothing says I love you like, hey, I love you, wife. Let me kill you. This is the way he was. Herod was a mean dude. People say, yeah, but he, he killed the children. Is that any different the way we are nowadays? Killing children just for the sake of killing them. Oh, but, but I have freedoms. You never have a freedom to murder. You never have the freedom to kill. Thou shalt not murder. Right out of the Bible we have this. I digress. Wait, okay, so... He said that he wanted to worship him also, that liar. Verse 9, when they heard the king, they departed, and the star which they saw in the east went before them until it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with great excitement. And when they came into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. See, this had nothing to do with the star. Many people believe, and they're probably right. It probably wasn't a star star. It was probably an angel, just like what the shepherds saw. Now, we don't know, but it probably was because that star didn't stay. It was, a it was a star that traveled. It probably shined like a star, like angels do. And whatever it was, whether it was a literal star that was only there for a short time, a short, short time, or an actual angel that went like a star that they traveled, who knows? But I know one thing, it was there for a reason. And God put it there so that these magi, these wise men could travel and follow and it could take them exactly where they wanted to go. It could be that they learned, and I'm pretty sure they learned because of Daniel, the things Daniel said many years in advance, but God wanted this baby to be found by these people of all places of the world. And God wanted to have them come and see, was he a baby anymore? No, he's probably two years old. Probably two years old, which we'll find out why in a moment. But the truth is, was he there in the manger? No. No, he would have been older by now. But the point is, they came to worship the king, the newborn king. 
Their own land didn't want to worship him. Okay, the shepherds did. But their own land didn't want to worship him anymore. Their king wanted to kill him. But look at these wise men. They came to worship. And it says they worshiped Mary, his mother. They fell down and worshiped him. They didn't worship her, by the way, as other churches do. But they worshiped him when they found him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him. Gold, which, by the way, gold represents what? His majesty. He's the king. And they knew he was the king. Frankincense represents deity. Deity. Holiness. Myrrh. What a weird gift to give a child. Myrrh was symbolism of death. That's what they use on death. But folks, this was a holy thing that he was going to be doing. He come to be the king. He was a king. He came to die. He was a king and he was holy. But he came to die too. This represented all of it. Now, did they know that? No. And chances are they probably used this and sold it so they could travel here shortly. But it says in verse 12, as they gave him gold, frankincense, and myrrh, but being warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. Talking about the wise men, the magi. They're not literal kings. We don't know that there's three. There could have been 30. Could have been 10. Could have been 12. Don't know. Why do we say three? We three kings of Orion are. Why? Because of three presents, three gifts. That's why. The escape to Egypt. Okay, so now, verse 13, now when they departed, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother and escape to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child and kill him. When he rose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod to fulfill what the Lord has spoken through the prophet. Out of Egypt, I have called my son. And he did. And that was from Hosea. And he did. All these things, it must have sounded crazy. How could he come from all these places? How could he be from Nazareth? How could he be? From Jerusalem? How could he be from Bethlehem? How could he be from Egypt? He was. He was all these things. And then verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was utterly furious and sent forth and killed all Bethlehem, killed all the male children who were in Bethlehem and the surrounded, surrounding the region from two years old and under based on the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Now that probably means, and this is the truth, a lot of times we think of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids being killed. That's probably not true. It's probably 50, maybe more. Probably about 50 two-year-old boys killed. But that's still way too many. And I say this because every day, hundreds, if not more, thousands, a baby's dying. When we hear about this kind of stuff in the Bible, people say, oh, that's just so bad. And it is. It's horrible. One child died is too much. But when we think about the children dying every day here in America alone, how come so many people don't have that kind of thought about that or emotion? They should. They should. 
But these boys, these little two-year-old boys, can you imagine the mom and daddy crying over their babies? Oh, my gosh. I love two-year-old babies. They're so beautiful, so wonderful and innocent and pure. Now, I know if you have a two-year-old today, you're probably saying they're not that innocent. Oh, yes, they are. They're still pure. They may not be 100% perfect, but they're still pure. They sure are. They're beautiful. From two-year-old and under, based on the time which they had diligently inquired of the wise men, then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet. In Ramah, a voice was heard, grieving and weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she would not be comforted because they are no more. Verse 19, But when Herod was dead, the angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel, for those who sought the young child's life are dead. And he did. And he did. It's sad to think about so many young people dying to protect one. But that one child, think of how many he saved. How many he saved. Jesus was born in the bread house in Bethlehem. And Jesus is the bread of life. So let us now turn to the book of John. To the book of John. John chapter 6. John chapter 6, verse 1. John chapter 6, verse 1, and we're going to read quite a bit here. After these things, Jesus went across the Sea of Galilee, because I didn't know where to start, and it's hard to find a good place. So we'll just go one through probably uh, most of the book, but not all of it. So it says, after these things, Jesus went across the Sea of Galilee, which which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd followed him because they saw his signs, which he did for the sick. When Jesus went up on the mountain and he sat there with his disciples, now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming to him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these, uh, that these may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for each of them to receive but a, but a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. But what are they among, uh, among so many? Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was so there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, numbering about 5,000. Jesus then took the loaves, uh, and when he had given thanks, he di uh, distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those who were sitting down, and likewise distributed the fish as much as they wanted. When they were filled, he told his disciples, collect the fragments that remain, that nothing may be lost. So they collected them and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left uh, over by those who had eaten. When those men saw the sign which he had done, they then said, This is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Therefore, knowing that they would come and take him by force and make him king, 
Jesus departed again to the mountain by himself alone. Now, I want you to think about this. Jesus took not just fish, but bread. What did he take? Bread. He made bread and he took that, those five loaves of bread and made it to feed 5,000, actually more than 5,000, 5,000 men, not to mention the children, not to mention the women, and he also fed them with two fish. Jesus, only Jesus can do this. Because why? He's not only the bread of life, he's the fisher of men. That's right. And then let's see what happened right after that in verse 16. Now, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. They got into a boat and went across the sea to work Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not come to them. The sea was stirring, uh, stirred up because a strong wind was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were afraid. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. When they gladly received him into the boat, they immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Now I know what you're thinking. Well, Jesus was walking on the water. Isn't this where Peter got out, got out and walked with him? Yes, but that's in another book. That's not in, that's not in John. Uh, then we see in verse 22, the following day, the people who stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except the one which ha, uh, his disciples had entered. And that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread when the Lord gave thanks, had given thanks. When the people there had given thanks, excuse me, when the people there saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they also got in the boats and came to Capernaum looking for Jesus. You know, he just couldn't get along, could he? You ever felt like that? <laughs> Verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for that food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For God the Father has set his seal on him. Then they asked him, What shall we do? that we may work for the works of God. Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. Therefore they said to him, What sign do you show then that we may see and believe you? What work would you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat, as I mentioned a while ago, the manna. The bread. But Jesus went ahead in verse 32. Then Jesus said, truly, truly, or verily, verily, truly, truly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I told you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. Yet do not believe. All whom the Father gives me will come to me, and he who comes to me I will never cast out. For I came down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. 
This is the will of the Father who has sent me, that all of all whom he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. This is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. The Jews then murmured about him, because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? And Jesus therefore answered them, Do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who has sent me draws him. And I want you to remember that. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and has learned of the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one man, excuse me, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man Give us his flesh to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is, blood, is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate manna and died, he who eats this bread will live forever. Jesus Christ is the bread of life. Jesus is the true wonder bread of life. The one and only. There is no other. Our breadwinner, so to speak, of salvation is Jesus Christ. There is no other. And though we live in a world where there are people going around saying, you can earn your way into salvation. Folks, you cannot. Any other bread that you try to win for yourself, you will fail on. Because it is filled with leaven, sin. We cannot earn our way into heaven. We cannot do it. This is why the bread of life had to come. He was born in the bread house, which is Bethlehem. He came. God knew what he was doing. He knew that I could not go to heaven on my own. He knew that you could not go to heaven on your own. And each and every one of us deserved to go to hell. But we will not go to hell because of he himself, the bread of life, has come to save us. He was born. He lived. He died. And he rose and lives again. He's not dead now. He lives now in heaven. And he will come again and take us home. 
And I am ready for it. I don't know about you. I am ready. I am ready. He was born in the bread house. And one day he will take us home to our eternal home. Our eternal home to live with him who is the bread of life. Praise the Lord God. I no longer have to worry about what I can do, but what he can do through me. How about you? How about you? Because if I look at all the things I could do, I will fail. I remember when I was a little boy, my mama used to make us this kind of a Play-Doh that we would play with outside. She used to tell us it was a kind of a special Play-Doh that what you would do, you would mold it and make it to what you wanted to be, and you leave it outside, and it would harden. You remember that? And I would make all sorts of things. I remember I tried to make it look, because it was white, I tried to make it look like the Pillsbury Doughboy. Well, let me just tell you something, that it did not. It looked like something the Pillsbury Doughboy threw out of the family. It was really gross looking. And it stunk, but probably because my dog Herman tried to eat it. But all that being said, <laughs> all that being said, oh, it's okay, I love Herman, I miss him. But here's the truth. We could try our best to make a little bread man, and it's okay, you know, it's, it's fine. But nothing Nothing we do will ever live up to the bread of life, which is Christ, who lives within us. And I don't know about you, but I'm all super excited because I know, I know that the bread of life is within me. And I know it's within you when you've asked Jesus, the bread of life, to live within you. And I'm going to finish today excited about going home. And I'm talking about eternal home when that day shall come. I'm excited. And I'll finish by reading Revelation 21, 1 through 6. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Let me, let me say it again. Revelation 21, 1 through 6. I always try to repeat it so you all have a chance to look it up. Revelation 21, 1 through 6. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Look, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. They shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither shall there be any more sorrow, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, Look, I am making all things new. Then he said to me, Write, for these words are faithful and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the spring of the water of life to him who thirsts. God bless these words. Let's bow in prayer. Lord God, thank you. Thank you so much for coming down the form of your son to be the bread of life. Thank you for coming to the bread house, the house of bread, Bethlehem. Thank you for choosing all those you chose. Lord God, you chose Simeon. You chose Anna. You, Lord God, chose the person who allowed them to use their uh, farm. 
their cave. Lord God, you chose all the people around. You chose the shepherds, the wise men, the magi. Lord God, you even chose Herod and all the other people. You chose them all. Lord, you chose a time, and you chose us, and we chose you to be our Lord and God. You washed away our sins. We pray right now that you will help us to follow you, to be obedient to you, and we will allow you to continue to mold us and make us each and every day. We pray for your will upon our lives, not our own. And we pray if there be anyone here today who needs to come forward this morning or today or tonight and continue to allow you to change them, we pray that you will help us to do so. That you will point out what needs to be given to you. We pray for all this in your holy, precious name. And we pray, Lord God, this season is blessed by you. And we pray for all the lost throughout this nation and all the nations. We pray for those who do not know you yet, that that will change this very day. We pray for this in your name. Amen.